In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of God. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that God has set by God's own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going to heaven and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men appeared in white robes and stood by them. And they said, people of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places, be found pleasing to you, O oh Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Eliana Cruz Torres was excited to play her last softball game of the season tomorrow. She was nervous but hopeful that she would make the Uvalde all-star team this year. Alethea Ramirez loved to draw, wanted to be an artist one day. She recently submitted a drawing to Doodle for Google to submit her artwork to be featured on their website. And there were still balloons up at Alethea's house this week from her 10th birthday party. Jose Flores was always full of energy. He wanted to be a police officer when he grew up because he wanted to help protect others. In a photo his grandfather kept in his wallet, Jose has a beaming smile and is wearing a t-shirt that says, tough guys wear pink. McKenna Lee Elrod was a natural leader and loved school. She collected fidget toys and loved hiding secret notes around the house for her family to find. 
Her aunt described her as a light to all who knew her. Rogelio Torres was known for being intelligent, hardworking, and helpful. It's said that his smile could light up a room in an instant. Tess Marie Mata had a contagious laugh and a sassy personality. She loved Ariana Grande, cheering on the Houston Astros, and getting her hair curled. She had been saving up her own money for a family vacation to Disney World. Irma Garcia was a fourth grade teacher, a wife and mother to four children. She taught at Robb Elementary School for more than 20 years, her entire career. She loved to barbecue with her family, to listen to music, and to take country cruises along the Frio River. Jace Carmelo Luivanos lived with his mother and his grandparents, and every day before school, he would wake up extra early and make them all a pot of fresh coffee. His grandfather told USA Today he was our baby. Jackie Cesares was a little firecracker, her father said. She would do anything for anybody. It comforts me a little to think that she would be one to help her friends in need, he said. She recently celebrated her first communion. Halia, Nicole, Siguero enjoyed dancing and making TikTok videos. The youngest of four children, she was the baby in the family. A family friend says she was a delightful, always energetic, lovely little girl. Lexi Anaya Rubio had been recognized that day for being on the All-A Honor Roll, and she received the Good Citizen Award, too. Her parents told CNN that they were proud of their daughter who loved softball and basketball. She wanted to be a lawyer when she grew up. Ellie Garcia loved the movie Encanto. The eldest of five girls, she was a big help around the house, reminding her grandparents to always take their medication, helping to mow the lawn, babysitting for her younger sisters. And Ellie dreamed of being a teacher one day. Amari Jo Garza was a social butterfly who loved talking to her friends during recess. She had recently turned 10 years old and received a cell phone for her birthday, which she had been looking forward to for months. And she pulled it out of her backpack on Tuesday to call for help. Nevea Bravo put a smile on everyone's face. Her name was Heaven, spelled backwards. Xavier Lopez was looking forward to another summer full of swimming and activities. He was a bubbly, loving child who loved dancing with his mom and his brothers. His mother told the Washington Post he was funny, never too serious, and his smile, that smile I will never forget. 
Layla Salazar loved to swim and dance to TikTok videos. As an avid runner, she won six races at her school's field day. And her father said that as they drove to school every morning, the two of them would sing along to Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Annabelle Rodriguez loved school and hated missing class. She was always curious and loved learning about her family's carpentry business. She adored her family's two-year-old dog, Patrona, and she wanted to be a veterinarian one day. Miranda Mathis was a bright girl who was fun and spunky, said a family friend. Mate Rodriguez dreamed of being a marine biologist and had her heart set on attending Texas A&M and Corpus Christi. She loved animals and photography, and she even taught herself to sew by watching YouTube videos. Uzziah Garcia was a smart boy with a fantastic memory. He could remember every single football play his grandfather threw at him. He was the sweetest little boy that I've ever known, his grandfather told CNN. And I'm not just saying that because he was my grandson. And Eva Morales had been a teacher for 17 years. She was adventurous. She loved running and hiking. One parent recalled, she made you feel like she was only teaching your child, like there were no other student in the class but them. Another family member said she had a vivacious soul. This is the day in the church year when we traditionally remember Jesus' ascension into heaven. But as I prepared this sermon for today, all I could think of was the ascension of these 21 children of God in Uvalde, Texas, each taken from the world in such an unimaginable way and far too soon. And I realized that perhaps the most important work I could do in preparing for today's sermon was to put my commentaries away and instead to look at their faces, to see their smiles, to read their stories, and to weep. Nothing within me wanted to do this. I didn't want to know their names or their stories, and I definitely didn't want to have to say them out loud one by one to you today. After all the more shootings that happen, the better you and I become at compartmentalizing them. It's just easier to manage that way. Otherwise, it's just too much. Sometimes we would rather be numb to the horrific shootings that are happening over and over and over again rather than to feel their pain each and every time. But there's a theologian, Karl Barth, who once said that as preachers we ought to prepare our sermons with the Bible in one hand 
and the newspaper in the other. And I think he was right. Because reading these stories in Uvalde forced me to hear today's text and ultimately to hear a word from God in a whole new way. In Acts 1, after Jesus has ascended, the disciples just stand there. That text just jumped off the page at me. They stand there, dumbfounded and speechless about what has just happened. And they're not sure what to do or where to go next when suddenly these two angels appear and say to them, why do you stand there looking up toward heaven? Why are you just standing there? After all, they have been following Jesus for so long, and Jesus has modeled for them the way they ought to live. He has spent his entire ministry showing them the way, and just before he ascends into heaven, Jesus tells them to carry forward his legacy, to be witnesses to the power of this resurrecting love and what it can do in our lives and in our world. So why, why are they just standing there? As Matthew Skinner writes, this text shows us that heaven gazing with increasingly aching necks is not the work of true disciples of Jesus. Real disciples head for the places of Holy Spirit power, a power that will make them witnesses of the one who has come to release captives, to pay special attention to the marginalized of society, to see places where oppression is rampant and to speak against it. In short, to proclaim the gospel that includes the announcement of God's good favor for all people. But we're not unlike these disciples, are we? Because we too have been entrusted with this same mission Jesus has taught us the way forward. We too have been called to live into this work of love to help bring about God's good favor for all people. And yet, in light of another senseless shooting in Uvalde, Texas, just on the heels of another racially motivated shooting last week at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, why are we just standing here? And why our thoughts and prayers, our continual responses to problems that deserve bold action, better policy, and systemic change. In the years since shootings at Heath High School, Sandy Hook, and Parkland, our government leaders have passed no common sense gun control legislation The only change seems to be that our children are now being trained in active shooter drills. Our children are being traumatized. Our children are being killed. And I say our children very intentionally because I firmly believe what Glennon Doyle says, that there is no such thing as other people's children And that we belong to each other. And yet we are just standing there, just like the disciples, looking up toward heaven with our thoughts and prayers, seemingly dumbfounded and not sure what to do or where to go next. I know we 
come to this space today carrying so much. That's probably true on any given week, but especially after the events of this past week or the past two weeks or the past two years or the past 10 years, it's all too much. And maybe you are so angry that you could just scream. Maybe you are absolutely heartbroken today. Maybe you're anxious and afraid of what in the world our country is becoming. Maybe you feel helpless or hopeless about it all. After all, if nothing changed after Paducah or Sandy Hook or Charleston or San Bernardino or Orlando or Las Vegas or Sutherland Springs or Parkland or Aurora or Santa Fe or El Paso or New York City or Buffalo or you fill in the blank name of the hundreds of other mass shootings that have taken place over the past 10 plus years, then why would anything change now? I feel you on that one. I feel you. Know that whatever emotions you bring into this space with you today, they're valid. And there's room for them, all of them, here in this sacred space. There is room here for your tears for your anger, for your grief, for despair. There is space here to cry out to God or to shake your fist at God. And there is even space for not wanting to have anything to do with God at all. I actually believe that God shares some of these same sentiments with us too. But if I'm holding the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, then I have to believe, on my best days, I have to believe that things can change. That things must change. Because the book of Acts goes on to tell us about how the Spirit would come to inhabit these disciples, giving them power to do things that they can never even imagine doing on their own. And I believe with the spirit-filled stories of scripture in one hand and the atrocities of the news in the other that the same spirit meets us here, even in this heartbreaking and infuriating space. I love how Barbara Brown Taylor responds to this text in Acts 1. She says, in the book of Acts, we learn the good news of what God did through the spirit by performing artificial resuscitation on a room full of well-intentioned bumblers and turning them into a force that changed the history of the world. But the question for me, she asks, is whether we still believe in a God who acts like that. Do we still believe in a God with power to transform us? both as individuals and as a people? Or have we come to an unspoken agreement that our God is pretty old and tired by now? 
someone to whom we may address our prayer request, but not anyone we really expect to change our lives. Highland family, I wonder if we ought to ask ourselves that same question this morning, especially after a week like this one. Do we believe in a God who can change us, who can transform us individually and as a people? And perhaps an equally important question, are we willing to be changed Are we willing to do something different? Are we willing for the Spirit to come in and transform our lives and to get into some good and holy trouble? Because God isn't going to swoop in and fix this problem for us. I believe God is calling us to do that, just as God was calling the first disciples in Acts 1. The question is, by the power of the Holy Spirit living and breathing and moving within us, are we willing to change? Are we willing to speak truth to power, to march, to protest? Are we willing to contact our elected officials and urge them to pass common sense gun control legislation? And are we willing to contact them again and again and again and again as long as it takes? Are we going to give to organizations like Every Town for Gun Safety, Moms Demand Action, and others who are doing on-the-ground work? Are we willing for the Spirit to transform us in this hard and holy work of love, the kind of love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, the kind of love that never gives up? And are we going to stop gazing toward heaven with our thoughts and prayers and start bringing about a world on earth as it is in heaven instead? Of course, our beloved poet Amanda Gorman has just the right word for us this week, which she calls a hymn for the hurting. In just three days of posting her poem online, she has already raised over $1 million for every town for gun safety. And she writes this. This alarm is how we know we must be altered, that we must differ or die, that we must triumph or try, that while hate cannot be terminated, it can be transformed into a love that does not die. And so may we not just grieve but give, may we not just ache but act, may we choose our children over chaos, may another innocent life never be lost. Maybe everything hurts our hearts shadowed and strange, but only when everything hurts may everything change. And as Easter people, friends, we are invited not only to believe in change, to believe in resurrection, but to live it out. I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road. The question is, are we willing to make a change and to live it out? To bear witness to what the power of God's resurrecting love can do? 
and to invite that power to empower us. This is the last Sunday of the Easter season, but I want to return to something I shared on Easter Sunday this year by Clarence Jordan. He says, the ultimate proof that God raised Jesus from the dead is not the empty tomb, but the full hearts of transformed disciples. The crowning evidence that he lives is not a vacant grave, but a spirit-filled fellowship. Not a rolled-away stone, but a carried-away church. Highland, I think it's time, I think it's past time, for us to stop standing there and to start getting carried away. And so may we get carried away in the work of love. Because we belong to each other, and there is no such thing as other people's children. I hope you're ready. Amen.